I'm excited. We're continuing our series called Blended, Biblical Stories of Reconciliation and Justice uh, for Our Divided World. Here's why I'm excited this morning, because um, God's doing something in you, and I see it. God's doing something in you. God is working new life into your life, new love into your hearts. And now you might say, hey, it's happening really slowly. And it probably is because we got a long way to go. But the reality is God's working in you. And as God changes you and as God makes you more like Jesus, that love that he puts in your heart begins to bubble up and it begins to be expressed in this room to other people and to the people in our city. Something is happening inside of you. And as you begin to understand God's love that through Jesus reconciles you to himself, that love begins to work in you. And you begin to reach out to people who are not like you, not having anything in common with you, but reaching across that barrier with the love of God for them. See, you and I don't deserve God's love. Just like our first parents in the garden, we spurned God and we did our own thing. We built a barrier between him and us, and we were fine being separated from him. When we built that barrier between us, things broke down between us and God, but they also broke down between our, us and ourselves. We, we wrestle with things like shame and, and, and desires that we know we shouldn't have. And, and at the end of life, our bodies are separated from our spirits. And we know that if we die in that state, we die risking separation from God eternally. But God is a reconciler. And God reaches across that wall that you and I built to show his love. And he does that by sending Jesus into this world. God the Father reached out to you, the one who spurned his love. And he showed you his love by sending Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. God the Father sent God the Son to be a substitute for you. And you, and you, and you, and you. To take your place and pay the debt that you owe the righteous judge. See, we don't deserve God's love, but he gives us his love in Jesus. And as you begin to understand that love for you, it changes you. It works in you. It begins to bubble up in your life so that you don't see people the same way. You grow in your ability to love people who are not like you because God loved you through Jesus. And I see it happening. I see God breaking down walls in this room and through you as you reach out in our community. God is working his love in us and through us. And that's exactly what was happening in this church that we're about to explore today. This church is the church in Jerusalem and the love of God was just bubbling up in them and through them. There's there's literally thousands of people coming to know Jesus as this church shares the good news of Jesus. And they're loving each other sacrificially. People are selling their houses and selling their property and using the money to care for those who are poor in this church. Now that is some love bubbling up, isn't it? And they're reaching across dividing lines and they're reconciling and, and and they're doing all sorts of crazy acts of love. But then a blind spot comes up in their love. 
they realized that they had been missing something. They, they had been loving well, and yet even in loving well, they were missing an area to love well in. Today's sermon is called The Church in Marginalized People, but we could also call it The Church and Blind Spots. The Church and Blind Spots, because all of us are, God is working his love in us, but oftentimes we miss areas to love because we all have blind spots, don't we? Let's see where this church's blind spot is and what it looks like for God to continue to work his love in them. We're in Acts chapter 5 and 6, starting in Acts 5, verse 42. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, that's the Greek speakers, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they had said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte, of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them and the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would work in us, that you would use this time of sitting in the scripture to change us that you would reveal to us even our own blind spots, and that we might be able to love more fully together like Jesus. Amen. A blind spot is an area where a person's view is obstructed. A blind spot, I looked it up on the internet, it's defined as an area where a person's view is obstructed. And whenever you and I have blind spots, usually the first thing that we say is, well, I don't see it. And that's the whole point. You can't see blind spots because it's a blind spot. In this particular church, a blind spot arises. A blind spot arises. This is a fantastic church. They're growing. People are coming to know Jesus. They're sacrificially loving each other. And they're caring for widows in their community. They're expressing God's concern for the marginalized. If you look in the Old Testament, God has a great concern for four groups of people, widows, the fatherless, the poor, and refugees. Deuteronomy captures some of that when it says in chapter 10, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice, meaning that he he sets things right for the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the sojourner, giving him food, in clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore. Love the refugee. Love the immigrant, therefore. For you were immigrants and refugees, sojourners 
in the land of Egypt. This church is doing that. They're caring for the widows among them. But then a complaint comes up. A complaint about a blind spot comes up. You see, in this particular church, most of the people were ethnically Jewish. But culturally and linguistically, they were different. There was a group who were, had, came from more of a Hebrew culture background. So they spoke Aramaic and Hebrew, and the Greek culture was foreign to them. There were others in this church in Jerusalem who were also ethnically Jewish, but had grown up outside of Jerusalem and were more familiar with Greek culture. So you had people that spoke Hebrew and Aramaic, and you had people that spoke Greek. One people, but tensions around a language and culture. And a complaint arises that, listen, as we're caring for the widows, somehow there's a blind spot, and only the Hebrew-Aramaic-speaking widows are being cared for, and the Greek-speaking widows are being left out. Dysfunctional systems are a part of life. And we're not quite sure how this dysfunctional system rises to the surface. You can just imagine, you know how it is, when you are in a room and you speak only one language, you go and find the people that speak your language, right? That's just normal. But somehow in this process, what is supposed to be the mercy of God shown to both Greek and Hebrew-speaking widows ends up being dysfunctional. And one group ends up being left out without a voice and literally no seat at the table. No seat at the table. And so even as this church and the apostles display the love of God to widows, there's a blind spot to the most vulnerable widows, the widows who don't have a voice, which makes them doubly vulnerable. Widows in that culture often were not educated. Women were not educated. And so if your husband died, you were stuck. You were reliant on whoever was around you to provide for you. And now these widows are relying on this new church in Jerusalem to provide for them. But, but since they don't speak the language that the majority speaks, they're doubly vulnerable as widows and then as a minority who does not speak the common language. And this just isn't a church administration problem. It's not saying, hey, let's just reorganize a few things. The author wants us to know that the gospel itself is at stake in this situation. Because if the apostles continue proclaiming God's love for everyone, but only demonstrate God's love to certain ones, then everyone's going to look at that and say, they're leaving people out. They're saying that in Jesus, God is pouring out his love for all men, but they're only showing God's love to certain people. And so the gospel is at stake because it threatens to split the church in two, and it threatens to stop the spread of the gospel. If the gospel is about God's reconciling love in Jesus, it threatens to, to stop the demonstration of God's reconciling love. In the church, we often focus on one of those two things. We often focus on proclaiming God's reconciling love in Jesus or demonstrating God's reconciling love in Jesus. But both are important. The church is responsible to both speak the gospel and show the gospel. Or we say the gospel in word and the gospel in deed. Mercy, 
compassion and justice are not just side issues. They're not just side issues that are optional. It's part of what we're called to do as the people of Jesus. Look at what, look how John says it in 1 John 3. He says, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? And what John is saying is, look, if you speak about God's love in Jesus, but you don't show God's love in Jesus to the people around you who are vulnerable, who are marginalized, who are in need, you need to ask yourself the question, do you really understand God's love in Jesus? Another way to say that would be using the terms reconciliation and justice. This series is called Biblical Stories of Reconciliation and Justice for Our Divided World. When we use the term reconciliation, what we mean is coming together as one. If God has broke down the barrier and reconciled us to himself through Jesus, then we're together as one, as a new kind of family, reconciled and unified in Christ. That's what reconciliation means. Justice has to do with compassion and setting things right for the poor and the oppressed. And what John is saying is that reconciliation and justice must go together. I can't say I love you and say we're one together, but then also say I don't care about your problems. We can't look at each other and say, hey, we're family, but I don't want to sacrificially love you in real life. Barry Henning puts it this way, reconciliation without justice isn't the full expression of the love of God. And so both are important if we're going to demonstrate the love of God. We can't just say we're God's blended family, but then not actually show that in real life with each other's problems and as people are in need in our church. There was a group of pastors who got together, and some of the pastors were from wealthier churches, and some of the pastors were from poorer churches. And the pastors from the wealthier churches told the pastors from the, the poorer churches, we're so glad we're in this together. We want to reconcile. We want to walk together. We realize that we've been divided by rich and poor, but we want to be one. And the poor pastors said, that's great. We love that. We're excited about that. Please tell the people in your wealthier congregations to give jobs to the people in our churches. And the wealthier church pastor said, no, no, you don't understand. We want to reconcile. And the churches from the poor congregation, or the pastors from the poor congregation said, that's exactly what we're talking about. You see, reconciliation and justice go together in God's blended family. If we're going to walk together as one, we have to be willing to set things right and show compassion and mercy for those who are among us. And really, that was the problem that, one of the problems that Jesus addressed with the Pharisees. Not only were the Pharisees hypocrites, but they left out mercy and justice. They weren't concerned about justice and mercy for the poor. One of the heirs of the Pharisees. And so, as the apostles addressed this blind spot, they can't ignore demonstrating the love of God. They can't leave justice out of it. They've got to do something. They have to respond or the gospel itself is at stake. But here's the hard part. They already got a full plate. Their job is to 
proclaim the love of God in Jesus. They're, Jesus has commissioned them to be the mouthpiece. They're the ones who are supposed to talk about the good news of Christ. And that's taking all their time, and now they're split between proclaiming and demonstrating the love of God. And they cannot ignore proclaiming. By St. Francis of Assisi that says, preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. And that's a little bit in response to people just speaking the gospel, but not actually living the gospel. But here's the thing, you have to speak the gospel. You have to proclaim the good news of Jesus. It's not enough just to demonstrate it without saying, I'm doing this in the name of Jesus. Both are important. Proclamation, demonstration, words, deeds, both show the reconciling love of God in Christ. What are the apostles going to do? Because this is a pretty big conundrum. They've got a lot of decisions to make. There's a lot of things to weigh in the balance. So what do they do? Well, the disciples or the apostles say, listen, we've got to continue preaching. We've got to speak about the reconciling love of God in Jesus. Jesus has commissioned us to be the mouthpiece of the gospel. But if there's only a mouth but no hands and feet, we realize it's lopsided. It's unbalanced. So we need to figure out a new system here. We need to adjust the system so that we're both proclaiming and demonstrating. So that as we say God's love through Jesus is for all people, we actually live that out and not just favor certain people. And so they adjust the system. They adjust the system so that the marginalized are not further marginalized. They raise up new leaders so that the reconciling love of God in Jesus can come to full expression. They raise up a new team just to demonstrate the love of God, to show the mercy of God by making sure that these vulnerable widows are fed. They raise up men of reputation, men who are full of God's spirit, so that as the gospel is proclaimed and the gospel is demonstrated, people can see the reconciling love of God and people can hear about the reconciling love of God. As they tell the congregation, hey, let's raise up a new team, amazingly, a 5,000 person congregation says, sure, that sounds good to us. I don't know churches that big, churches that, big that agree on anything, but they agree, yes, we must proclaim and we must demonstrate the gospel. And the apostles give the decision to the congregation and say, raise up seven men to lead this new ministry. And what's amazing, as you read these names, Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, as we say them, these hard to pronounce names, what's amazing is none of them are Hebrew names. They're all Greek names. Meaning that the people in the congregation have specifically chosen Greek speakers to make sure that the marginalized of the marginalized have a voice in their church. That they're not left out in the daily distribution. They pick, they pick Greek speakers like the widows who can only speak Greek. They are ensuring that the weakest of the marginalized will have a voice by giving power to these new Greek-speaking leaders. It's amazing as we talk about the reconciling love of God, that not only have they done reconciliation with justice, but now they're doing justice 
with reconciliation. If we do justice and try and set things right for those who are marginalized, but don't fully include them and give them a voice, we're just making them a project. They're not really part of this. And yet what the disciples and the apostles do is they say, we want to set things right for the poor, but we also want to give them a voice in the decision-making process. Justice with reconciliation. If reconciliation without justice isn't the full expression of the love of God, justice without reconciliation is paternalism. And what that means is, I'm going to help you, but I don't need your help. I'm going to give you a handout, but I'm not going to let you in the decision-making process of how this thing goes down. You are my project, but you're not part of this. But what's amazing about the decision that they make is they empower the Greek-speaking leaders so that the widows actually have a voice in the church. The marginalized are the, of the marginalized are brought in and given a voice. And these apostles who make up the majority of the church as Hebrew Aramaic speakers, they give power away to a minority group in the church and let them lead. That's pretty amazing. You see, as the church, we're not just a group of people, of one kind of people who are giving a handout to another kind of people. That's not the church. The church is people needing each other to minister to each other empowering one another to lead, empowering one another to serve, not, giving, not making people a project, but saying, we're going to help you and you're part of this together. This is so radical, this idea, that as scholars read this Bible story, they say there's no way it can be true. Because no one gives away power like that. No one makes sure that reconciliation and justice happen. No one goes out of their way to give a voice to the smallest group in an organization. So this must not be true. But you and I know it is true. And you and I know that the power of Jesus did this in a church in Jerusalem so that the reconciling God, love of God could be made known then and now. And as we embrace the reconciling love of God, as we embrace reconciliation and justice and gospel proclamation and gospel demonstration, I think there's some lessons for us from this particular story and from this particular church. And first of all, the first lesson is that blind spots are normal. Blind spots are normal. We all have things that we don't see. And as we seek to reach across cultures and languages, and ethnicities, and race, and socioeconomics, we are going to have blind spots, each of us. And blind spots are normal. And the first thing that you're going to want to say when a blind spot comes up, you're going to want to say, I don't see it. And that's the whole point. You don't see it. You don't see it because it is a blind spot. But we need each other to see each other's blind spots. And let's not make that a thing where it's a struggle for power, but make it a thing where we can further express the love of God in Jesus by listening to one another and trusting one another and believing each other. See, if you're a leader in this church, fully expect that at some point someone's going to come to you and say, I think you have a blind spot. And your reaction should not be, no, I don't see it. It should be, tell me more. Because we all have blind spots. It is normal. And so we should expect people to come to us and just say, 
I need you to see something the way I do. And we show the reconciling love of Jesus when we listen and when we allow ourselves to be stretched. And that's the second lesson. Being a blended family will stretch us. I think as we talk about the vision for this church of being a church that crosses cultures and breaks down barriers and tries its best to be multilingual, we can have this idea of a utopia, you know, like, oh, it's going to be amazing and there's not going to be any problems. No, there's going to be issues. There's going to be stretching. There's going to be, oh, we did it again. Oh, we need to adjust. We need to listen in and hear what our brothers and sisters are saying. We're going to have real problems as we try and work together in unity. And we need to be open to being stretched and adjusting systems so that the marginalized in our church have a voice. So that those with the least amount of people in their group are given an opportunity to speak, are allowed to be part of the decision-making process. And the reality is we're not gonna get it right. You know, this church in Jerusalem has thousands of conversions and the Holy Spirit is doing miracles and just growing and growing and they're loving and they don't get it right. They make a mistake. They make a mistake because everyone has blind spots, but that's why we need each other in order to head in the right direction. We need each other to head in the right direction. We need each other to minister to each other. When I was in St. Louis, we had a, a group in our church who was from, um, from a, another country and they had fled their country and became refugees in the United States. And there was one particular grandmother in our church and she had a rough situation going on in her home. And so I went to her nephew and I said, um, hi, I just wanted to make sure that you knew of the situation that was going on in your auntie's home. And uh, by the way, you're, you are her nephew, right? You, you're like blood with her? And, uh, and he answered my question and said, yes. And I, for, from my perspective, the meeting went great. The next day, one of the leaders in our church who was from that particular country as well, he called me on the phone and said, my brother, I love you, but you have made a mess for me to clean up. And I said, I don't understand, what, what did I do? I just went over and I, and I went to care for this, this woman and then talked to her nephew. And I don't understand, was, so here's the thing, you asked about how they were related. And I said, what's wrong? I don't understand, that's just a normal question. He said, my brother, in my country, we all fled because there was a civil war. And when that civil war happened, people were doing anything they could to get out of the country. People were being slaughtered, women were being oppressed, children were dying, and people were lying about their family relationships in order to get out of the country. Lie and get out, tell the truth, and stay, and you might be killed. And so when you came in and asked that person about their relationship with your family, they did not, no longer saw you as the pastor. It came across like you were the Gestapo. And I said, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. And I had to go over to that brother and say, listen, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize that that is such a sensitive topic. Please forgive me. But it was an important lesson for me because then I realized that we need each other to minister to each other. Amen. I can't do it 
on my own. I need you and you need me and we do this together. And as we raise up new leaders to help us lead, we need wisdom on how to empower them so that leaders can lead this church in proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel of Jesus. See, things won't be easy on the road ahead. We have to realize that what we're trying to do, it will be challenging. It will be challenging. But as we commit ourselves to moving forward in the reconciling love of God, the city will take notice. The city will see a different kind of love. You see, this church in Jerusalem got people's attention. As the church committed themselves to care for the marginalized, to show the reconciling love of God in Jesus and proclaim the gospel, it got people's attention. It says that the number of disciples multiplied greatly and a great many priests, priests from the temple. Not just any priests, but from the class of priests that were the poorer class, the ones who didn't have any power, who were dominated by this empty spiritual building where God was supposed to live, but God no longer lived. It was led by the people who tithed their herbs but forgot about mercy and justice. And now these priests see what the temple's supposed to be happening in the church. And they see the gospel being proclaimed and they see the gospel being demonstrated and they see widows being taken care of and new systems being built, not to oppress people, but to care for the voiceless. And as these priests see this happening in the church in Jerusalem, and as they hear the gospel proclaimed, they become obedient to the faith. They become obedient to the faith. And it says that the number of disciples continued to grow. A great many priests from the temple saw the love of God in Jesus bubbling up in their city. And they became obedient to the faith. You see, something is happening in us, just like something happened in that church in Jerusalem. The ones who don't deserve God's love, you and me, the ones who don't deserve God's love but have been given God's love in Jesus, that's us. And as that love in us grows, it begins to bubble up and pour out to each other and pour out in giving each other a voice. And as we grow in that love and as we speak of that love and as we display that love by caring for one another and caring for the marginalized and caring for the voiceless, it will get people's attention too. You know, one of the, one of the fantastic moments I had as a church planner was when a city official came up to me at one point and said, I love what your church is about. I love what your goal is. I love what you're trying to do. You see, as we proclaim and demonstrate the reconciling love of God, it will take notice in our city. It will get people's attention. May Jesus continue to lead us forward for the sake of his name. Amen? Yeah. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you and we bless you. And we ask that you would continue to lead us forward in the reconciling love of God. Father, we pray for new leaders. We pray that men and women would stand up and step up in our congregation and that we, you would uh, increase our reach in the city 
so that we can show your love to more people and we can proclaim your love on a, on a wider scale and we can demonstrate your love to those who are marginalized and vulnerable. And we ask all this in your name. Amen. Would you stand with me?